Linux is the software giant that most consumers don't even realize powers most of our digital lives. Today, we talk about its story. Welcome to Copec Explained Software, the podcast where we make computing intelligible. All right, Dave. This week, we're going to dive deeper into something we touched on in episode two, what is an operating system. We're going to look closely to understand what is Linux. Right. So Linux is a kernel, which we talked about in episode two being the lowest layer of the operating system, the part that's actually closest to the hardware that has the most essential services that the operating system needs to provide for application programs. Linux, when we talk about it, really refers to just that kernel, but it's used colloquially and actually in marketing all the time to refer to entire operating systems. So other layers of software that are built on top of that kernel as well get bundled together with the kernel and we call the whole thing Linux. And I guess I'll just pause right here to um, remind listeners to you know take a listen to what is an operating system if they haven't listened to it already. Absolutely. And another episode we're going to touch on today is what we covered in episode 12, open source software, because Linux is open source software, which is one of the things that's so amazing about it. It's actually developed by a team of volunteers and people being employed full time to work on it at various different companies and individuals as well, thousands of them around the world, all working together in an, on this open source product, Linux. So why don't we start at the beginning? How did Linux develop? What Can you give us a little bit about its history? So before we talk about Linux, we actually first need to talk about Unix. Unix is one of the most influential operating systems of all time. And it came out around the year 1970. It was developed at Bell Labs, which was a research laboratory of AT&T, which used to be basically the only long distance phone company in the United States. It had a monopoly and they did a lot of great computer science research. Out of that came this operating system Unix that was hugely influential. Without getting into all the details of Unix, let me just say that the ideas from Unix have influenced every operating system that exists still today. And many of today's modern operating systems are actually directly descendants of Unix. And that includes Linux. So where did, how did Linux and Unix connect? How did it actually get made? Well, there was a graduate student in Finland. His name was Linus Torvalds, and he was taking a class on operating systems that used a book developed by a professor named Andrew Tenenbaum about how to build a Unix-like operating system. And in that book, they actually provide the source code to go along with it for a Unix-like operating system called Minix. And Linus was taking that class and he got really interested in the topic. And he actually started not developing an operating system. He was developing a simpler kind of program. Uh, and he started over time building more and more pieces of what would eventually become an early version of Linux. And at first he was doing this all by himself. He was literally still living at home with his parents. He was a graduate student. This was just, you know, a hobby really that he got kind of obsessed with. And this is covered really well in his autobiography called Just for Fun. If our listeners are interested in reading it, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. 
But anyway, uh, this project kind of took on a life of its own. He got obsessed with it. He added more and more features. He released it on the internet um, and other people downloaded other people who were enthusiastic about the idea of having a Unix-like operating system because Unix was considered more powerful than the type of operating systems that most people had at that time on their personal computers, which were things like MS-DOS or early versions of Windows or, or Mac OS. Unix had many features that were really enticing to kind of technically minded people. And there were problems with Minix. Here was a problem with Minix. It came with that book, but it was under a pretty restrictive license. And so you basically had to buy the book to get access to it. And then that professor who had developed it, he was kind of keeping it as a teaching operating system and not allowing it to kind of be free and develop on its own. So Linus wanted to really develop something as it started to gain steam that would be accessible to more people and was under more generous licensing terms so that anyone could download it for free and build upon it and then kind of work together to continue to build it. And so just the fact that he had started this momentum actually led to a lot of other people contributing. And it eventually became a life of its own. I kind of used that word a few times, but it really did. It's, it had the spark that he started that really ignited when all the volunteers contributed. And he still continues to lead its development up to this day. Now we're, we're talking from 1991, so we're talking almost 30 years later. And it's really become the most ubiquitous operating system on earth, actually. So it just started as him really learning about kernels and about operating systems. Was he going into it thinking, I'm going to make a kernel? Yeah, so he wasn't even thinking that he was going to build a kernel at the beginning. He was kind of building things that were tangentially related, and they came together. He realized he had already gone so far that he almost had an entire kernel. Uh, and so he, he did have this great plan to take over the world. And in fact, there already had been an effort to build a Unix-like free operating system called GNU, GNU. It stands for GNU's not Unix. It's a recursive acronym founded by Richard Stallman, which we talked about quite a bit in episode 12, Open Source Software. But they started this movement to build a free version of Unix. And their movement got quite far. They built a lot of parts of the operating system, but they were missing the kernel. They were missing the most essential part. And then Linus comes along and he builds that missing piece and they fit together beautifully. Now you have all the rest of the operating system that's been developed by the folks at GNU, led by Richard Stallman. And then you have the kernel that they were missing, led by Linus and the volunteers working with him on the Linux kernel. When you put those two pieces together, you have a whole operating system, which is why to this day, the GNU folks think the operating system should actually be called GNU slash Linux because they feel the GNU contribution to this operating system doesn't get enough credit. But like I said earlier, when we talk about Linux, we're usually referring to the combination of the utilities above the kernel with the kernel, and we call those Linux distributions, but we also could just be referring to the kernel, and we'll get more into that a little bit later. Was Linus, when he was building this, hoping that it would connect with GNU or with other um, software developers? Did, was there a community that had was like, we really need to be working on this and creating these new options? So this is all happening, the beginning of it, in 1991. So we have to have some technological context for how people were collaborating on the internet at that time. The World Wide Web was literally just invented at that point by Tim Berners-Lee and wasn't widely used yet. So most communication at that time was actually happening through what were called news groups. And news groups you can think about as kind of large email mailing lists that anyone can reply to and that you can, it's almost like discussion forums today on the web. Um, and so this is how a lot of communication was going on. And the GNU folks were very actually well organized 
But they were, again, they had been working for many years already on their own kernel called Herd and they were unsuccessful. So when Linus was developing Linux, he was building out of Minix, which was that operating system by Andrew Tenenbaum, and they were using the GNU utilities already in Minix. Uh So when they went over and they developed the Linux kernel and then he started to get other people helping him, they were building it all the time with the GNU utilities. First starting from within Minix, and then they were self-hosting inside Linux. So they had, they got the new utilities running inside Linux, and then they could build Linux from within Linux. So they were really primed to partner. Exactly. It was the perfect combination. GNU plus Linux together formed what could be a whole, uh, stable, fully operational and featureful operating system. But either of them on their own was missing a major component. Mm-hmm. So Linux is first developed in the early 90s. How does it grow? What What's happening as it um, evolves? And I'm thinking of it growing up, but I don't know if that's probably the right Yeah, term. it did have to grow up because it was built by who was originally a graduate student and volunteers, and it wasn't super stable, and it doesn't have tons of features yet. And it took a few years before it had things like the ability to run the X-Windows graphical user interface, or the ability to do multi-processing, or the ability to be ported to other platforms than the original uh, PC platform that Linus had been developing it on. So it took a while for it to grow up, as you say, but it grew up pretty quickly. These volunteers really collaborated quite effectively. And then what started to be developed was what are called Linux distributions. And these are people taking the Linux kernel along with the GNU utilities and then some other open source software as well, combining it together and then distributing that to end users who then would have a fully packaged operating system to install on their computers. And already by the mid-90s, there were multiple Linux distributions, and some of them were even commercialized. At first, Linus didn't want to have money involved. And actually, his original intention was that you had to use it for free. You couldn't sell it. But then he changed his tune, and he actually adopted a license called the GPL, which was developed by Richard Stallman at the Free Software Foundation, which was a viral license that said, look, if you use this and you modify it, you got to release your changes. you got to release your source code. So that keeps all the contributions open source. But it doesn't preclude you from taking it and actually selling it as long as you keep whatever changes you made open source. So people did. They started taking it together with these other software components, bundling it together and selling it as a Linux distribution. And what happened is actually then there started to be companies that were involved in selling Linux. And then it just kind of snowballed. Then it got to the point where Linux was getting so good with so many different people working on it that it was a real competitor to commercial Unix operating systems. And then some of the big companies like Hewlett Packard and IBM got involved and they said, this was by the late 1990s, we're actually going to power some of our servers that people use to power websites and power email, et cetera, et cetera, all kinds of internet services. We're going to power them with Linux. And it made economic sense to them because here was an operating system that was every bit as good as the old commercial Unixes that was not so niche, like it only ran on one hardware platform or only had limited amount of development resources being worked on it. And so it could be collaboratively worked on by the whole industry and establish a standard. And by the late 1990s, early 00s, Linux actually displaced these traditional Unix operating systems to become the dominant server operating system. So when we say a Linux distribution, or really a way to think of this is... um 
the Linux kernel plus GNU utilities and other stuff being built onto it to be able to be used in different ways and different types of computers are packaged in different ways um, to become more accessible to other users. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And so there's a lot of Linux distributions that have been around a long time that people are probably familiar with. For example, most people have probably heard of Debian. Um, it is one of the oldest and still one of the most active Linux, Linux distributions. Some people have probably heard of Ubuntu, mm -hmm. which is uh, based actually on top of Debian. So sometimes you have distributions based on other distributions, just like you have all of the stuff based on the Linux kernel, which then has like a new utilities on top. And you'll have some distribution on top of that, bundling even more software together. is that together. a result of the license that they have that you yeah. can keep building on top of it? Because everything tends to be open source in the Linux world. People can always take other people's contributions, remix them change them, improve on them, and build on top of them. And so you end up getting software that is built on top of other software in a many, many layer cake situation. Mm -hmm. And so there's many, many popular Linux distributions. Some of the other ones people might have heard of include things like Fedora, Arch Linux. Um, those are two of the most common ones other than Debian and Ubuntu. But there's many, many others like SUSE, which is another commercial one from Germany that's been around a long time. There's, there's literally hundreds of different Linux distributions. I probably just named the top five or so. But there, there are um, the ability for any person who has the technical skill and interest to remix it their own way and have their own Linux distribution. And which causes problems too, because it means that there can be not the same base in amongst different people running Linux, mm -hmm. the same base of software automatically installed by default, which can cause incompatibilities. And sometimes, you know, we'll even need to port programs from one Linux distribution to another. But for the most part, there is some standardization and most programs that can run on one Linux distribution can run on another. And there's still work being done on the Linux kernel right now? Yeah, the Linux kernel is very, very actively developed because it's become so mission critical to so many companies. A lot of these companies will actually employ people full time. So they're being paid by the company to work on this, quote unquote, volunteer project, Linux. Uh, they're working on it collaboratively in the corporate world, just as there's individuals working on it collaboratively as well. And there's actually thousands of people who contribute to the Linux kernel. And Linus is still at the top kind of managing the whole thing. Of course, he's delegated to several lieutenants, different components of the kernel to work on. But yes, there's many, many people, many large corporations employing people full time. So just because it's free software, open source and free, both in terms of its cost and in terms of its licensing model, it doesn't mean that people aren't getting paid full-time jobs to work on it because it's used in so many commercial products. So that's a good segue to my next question is where is this being used? You've talked about servers, um, but how else is Linux being used? So yeah, it's the dominant operating system in the server world. So the vast majority of websites you visit are powered by Linux, for example. However, it's also used in many, many other places. So it has some positioning on the desktop. Uh, Linux distributions, traditional ones, have never had large market share. They've never even exceeded the Mac, which has relatively low market share compared to Windows. They never get into more than a few single digits of market share amongst regular desktop computer users. But Linux as a kernel is actually the dominant platform in smartphones. The reason being Android you can almost think about it as a Linux distribution. It's not really in the same sense that we usually think about it because it's not built around Linux plus GNU plus the typical software that gets built 
and bundled into the server and desktop variants of Linux, but it is running the Linux kernel. So Android has the Linux kernel, just like Ubuntu or Debian have the Linux kernel. And so Android is actually a form of Linux, you could think about it in a certain way. And so Android is, by many measures, the most popular operating system in the world. So you could actually say that Linux is the most popular kernel in the world, therefore. Wow. And also Linux finds its way because it's very versatile and it's already pretty uh, well-built and um pretty stable. It's found its way into many, many different embedded systems. So your car might actually run Linux. Your toaster oven, if it's sufficiently advanced and has a microcontroller in it, might be running Linux. Your um, Internet of Things device, there's a pretty strong possibility that the cam- your webcam in your home um, that's tracking your baby or your pets or your um, you're, if you have a pretty sophisticated refrigerator with a touchscreen, there's really strong possibility they're running Linux as well. So Linux is finding its way everywhere. And why are these devices or the people making them using Linux? So they're using Linux because it already has so much momentum behind mm-hmm. it. And I think that's really worth mentioning is that Linux is not the only free Unix-like operating system. There are many free Unix-like operating systems. We already mentioned Minix earlier, which did eventually become fully free. Um, there's also operating systems like FreeBSD, NetBSD, OpenBSD. Um, there, there are many, many free open source operating systems. Uh, another one people might have heard of is Haiku. There's, there's so many, but Linux is the one that always had this big momentum behind it. It had momentum not only from a lot of volunteers working collaboratively on it, uh, kind of spearheaded by Linus, but it also has always had this corporate backing. Mm. So including, like we've mentioned before, big companies like IBM and Hewlett Packard, but also companies that you might not realize, even companies that used to be mortal enemies of Linux, eventually came and joined forces with it. For example, Microsoft. Microsoft actually does a lot of work around Linux the last few years, and they've even added a Linux subsystem for Windows. And it's actually confusingly called the Windows subsystem for Linux. But what it really is, is it allows you to run Linux on top of Windows in a very seamless, easy way. So basically, the whole industry, including uh, companies that used to battle it, have all kind of come around to embracing it. And so Linux has so much development behind it from so many different sources that why would you reinvent the wheel? Mm -hmm. If you're going to create a new hardware device, why would you go invent your own operating system kernel for it or use something that's less trusted, less supported, with less momentum behind it? Why wouldn't you just go use Linux? And that's kind of what's happened is anybody who's building a new hardware device goes and says, well, what's the best operating system for me to use on this hardware device? Rolling my own would be too complicated and take too much time. And using a different one won't have as much support or as much momentum going forward and still be around in a few years. So I might as well use Linux. So it's kind of become this network effect where because it's popular, it stays popular. It's quite the journey, though, for starting with just, you know, one grad student working on something as a passion project to taking over an industry. Absolutely. And it's covered really well in his autobiography, Just for Fun, which I'll put into the show notes. But it is an incredible story. And it's it's also an incredible story of cooperation because it's very, you know, we talk about open source software like we did in episode 12, but people don't always realize when we talk about it that this isn't some niche discipline. This isn't some like small part of the computing world. Linux, as we mentioned, is the dominant kernel in computing, which means the majority of computing devices in the world 
actually run on Linux. And it is an open source collaborative effort where people are working together across company, across country, across language barriers, across cultural barriers to get this thing built. It's actually a beautiful thing. If you think about the number of hours that have gone into building it, there are millions and millions and millions and millions of people hours. And these people were not always working for the same motives, but they managed to find a way to work together that allowed all of them to prosper. And all of us, because we're all uh, getting the fruits of this labor in the form of our well-working devices today. Is there anything else our listeners should know about Linux? We went specifically today into Linux, but I want to remind people again about those earlier episodes where we covered what an operating system is and what is open source software, because that kind of gives you the whole picture. You have our episode today about Linux, but you should already have that knowledge. So if you didn't listen to those earlier episodes, you might want to check out episode two, what is an operating system, and episode 12, open source software. All right. Well, thanks for listening this week. We want to remind people about our Twitter. What is it, Rebecca? At Kopec Explains, K-O-P-E-C-E-X-P-L-A-I-N-S. Also want to remind everybody to hit that subscribe button in your podcast player of choice and also to leave us a review in your podcast player of choice because it really helps with the podcast. You know, we've been seeing some nice growth in the podcast over the last couple months, which we really appreciate. So we thank everyone for listening. But at the same time, we want to get our message out to even more people. So don't forget whether it's over Overcast and you hit that little star button or you're listening to Apple Podcasts and you want to write us a review. Or if you're listening on Google Podcasts and you just want to recommend the episode to other people who are connected in your network, it really helps get the show out there. So we really appreciate it if right now you'd go and leave that review. And we wish you an awesome week. Thanks for listening.